This morning is going to be a little bit different um, than usual. I, I, have, um, I woke up last night at around, uh, I think my first time was 2 o'clock in the morning with a violence of action from the stomach flu. So uh, Dan happens not to be here this week to be able to give him the nod. So it'll be a little bit different this morning as uh, if I didn't want to pass that by and then some people think I'm just unnecessarily melancholy or something like that this morning as uh, uh, maybe the energy level is a bit different. Uh, so I just wanted to state that up front. It's just a little bout of the stomach flu. With all of that said, we have a wonderful passage um, before us this morning that I'm extremely excited to um, spend time with you around this morning. There's particularly Scripture, one of the great themes of Scripture, is to think of Scripture in terms of promise made and promise kept. That is one easy and accessible way to view the Old Testament text in light of the New Testament text and thinking in your mind with promises made and as you see God making promises to the people of God throughout the Old Covenant and foretelling through prophetic utterance what he will do, how he will rescue, how he will come, how he will vindicate, how he will gather the people out of exile. And then watching the close of the Old Testament canon where it seems that there is still a wanting for all of those items. By the time you get into Malachi, you get there at the end of the close of the prophetic voice of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. Malachi has this beautiful, forward-looking prophetic utterance about an Elijah-like figure who is going to come. By the time we move at the close of, uh, of Malachi, you have 400 years of silence. Again, we thought of that several weeks back of somewhere early colonial America was the last time that we would have heard a word from God. And the burden of, of, of life lived. A lot of life has been lived since early colonial America to get us to this point. And how people fall and, and feel that God is not near. God is not going to come. God is not going to answer. Where is the Elijah-like figure? And then by the time 400 years of silence, Gabriel announces, and that's where we are in the book of Luke, uh, as Gabriel announces to Elizabeth um, and Zechariah, you're going to have a son. And his, you'll call him John. He'll be John the Baptist. And we find out that he is this Elijah-like figure. John the Baptist, he's here. God is at work and the promises made. Now he is at work and promises kept. And that's what we're seeing in the unfolding of the New Testament, the integrity of God in keeping his promises. So in light of that unity of the Bible, when you're thinking in your text of Scripture of how to listen well, how to think through things well, how to read well, and you're thinking in this kind of twofold construction of promise made, promise kept, it's so important that there is no way we can understand Jesus and the rest of the New Testament without understanding it in light of the Old Testament. So we'll get to the work of Christ, his person. Here we're in a bridge passage, kind of um, what was read for you is chapter 4, and that's where we're going. We'll get there. Right now we're kind of working on bridging the gap between Jesus' baptismal event in 3 and coming to his temptation and wilderness experience in four. And in between there, you see in the text of Scripture, is a genealogy. All of this is at work in Luke to help us understand his baptism and his wilderness experience in a very particular way. So the genealogy is not for naught. It isn't like we should skip through it real quickly. 
We don't need to sit and preach each and every name that appears in there and all of their, you know, significance, all their trials and all their successes. That's not the point either. But there is a particular lens through this lens. And it's deeply rooted in the Old Testament. So many times we're distanced. If you will look throughout Luke, we'll see, and other New Testament writings, Jesus is repeatedly presented as a second thinking through the unity of the Bible. If we are to understand rightly Jesus and his person and his work and our part in that, we share in him through faith. And writers often just take this for granted. They're writing certainly in a different context than, than us. But yet, as they write, they don't take too much time to fill you in. They are in situation. Not only is he referred to as a second Adam, but a second Moses. Again, that requires our understanding of what role to reference as a second David. Always making allusions to how he is associated with David. And that's part of the story of work in light of the prophetic promise made. And the writers want you to see the promises have been kept. And here in Luke 4, as we approach the text of temptation, it is described or framed in such a way as for you to read it as a... To understand then as we go forward in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we must understand and apply this particular passage in light of the hoaks. You see, the conviction of every biblical author... And this is what they take for granted and what they put forward to you on your assumption. They put forward as an assumption with you as they write that the bedrock of our conviction is God is faithful. Now, if I for some reason get sick in the next 10 minutes, all you heard today was God is faithful. I'm feeling good about today. Sometimes that is simply what we need to once again hear. He is faithful. That's the assumption of the biblical text. He makes promises, yes, in one era, and he fulfills them, even if it be in another era. That's the tension you see between promise made and promise kept is a call to live by faith. The fulfillment of the promise may seem delayed, Well, again, we had a prophetic utterance in Malachi, and it took 400 years to hear another word from Gabriel. It may seem delayed in your life. Promises that we sang about this morning, we experience in joy and yet feel the tension of some of those things in our life personally feeling greatly delayed. The fulfillment, even when it comes, might look different than people expect. But the fundamental issue is this. There is a continuity across Holy Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. And that fundamental continuity that sews all of Scripture together is that God is faithful to His Word. Now, for the next couple of moments... I want us to consider how this text here, Luke 3 and 4, how we're going to kind of see them and introduce them together, shows indeed God's faithfulness to his promises made. He herein is keeping his promises in the person and work 
of Jesus. For a moment, consider the story of Jesus' baptism that we already tackled. If you weren't able to be with us, you'll see it in the margins. Of, you'll see it in your text on the page that is open there between 3 and 4, and you're probably somewhat familiar with the episode of his baptism. But consider Jesus' baptism for a moment, and then the forward-looking temptation. These two texts, so you're, in, you're at the baptism, and you're at the temptation, and then you have a genealogy. Think of these two episodes in light of the continuity that it actually shares with the Garden of Eden. If I could just give you the broad stroke of the creation story, again, promises were made, you know. And promises are being kept. Consider the creation story as you look upon Jesus' baptism. You recall that the scene of creation is very similar to Jesus' baptism. At creation, we are told of how the Spirit is hovering over the waters. Also, what takes place in creation, quite simply, is God speaks forth His word of great blessing. Consider in creation man that was also created at that point in creation. And not only was he created, but he was given a commission to live before God, to live righteously, to multiply, to cultivate. Similarly, in the baptism of our Lord, you can draw those exact same connections. Promises made, promises kept. Here in our Lord's baptism, you remember the Spirit hovers over the water yet again upon our Lord. God speaks forward. A heavenly voice comes out. Finally, the third component parallel or similar to that of Genesis in the creation story is Jesus is given a commission. Continues. Shortly thereafter, after man was created in God's image and he was given a commission to live before God, you recall what took the man who was created in the image of God in this beautiful, serene, and, and garden experience was tempted of provision to doubt God's word of blessing, to doubt God's word of authority. Quite simply, at that now you're kind of seeing the parallelism as, it, as, as it's coming. You see the baptismal event, the creation, the commission, and then we see a temptation say, Right at the heart of the issue to Adam and Eve was to that God's word is sure. Adam and Eve needed to entrust their lives. But did God actually say? One author writes this way, and the whole human race has been failing the same test ever since. R.C. Sproul has often commented this way. I think it resonates. The hard part that we submit to his word, that we believe what he has promised, he will also so surely is that we are facing. It's not hard to believe that he is or that he exists. Often it's hard to it. He has said so many wonderful and glorious promises. Set them forward for our joy, to know of our future hope. And Eve, as the writer said, the whole human race has been failing, not some other test, but the very same test 
ever since. So secondly, Israel's wilderness experience. This is the second. So if I could help you kind of think through, as, you're, as we're getting ready to investment expectations, we're considering now not just Adam and Eve in the garden experience, but we're also considering Israel in their wilderness temptations. I'll give you three of them up front. Consider with me just a moment as you're familiar with the Exodus event. Now you're pairing it with Luke 3 and Luke 4. Not only is the identity between our Lord's baptism and the exodus of Israel coming into picture more, you just have to look right on the page of chapter 3 and you see indeed our Lord was baptized and was praying. And, and, and over the water descended on him and bodily the voice that calls her or him, Israel, them, God's firstborn son. Third, to see what's really going on is Israel, you remember, after God calling out his only son, that is, my firstborn son, bringing him through a baptismal event of the Red Sea genealogy, we have promises being kept in verse 1, and Jesus, full of the being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, Promises were made that the people of God would be gathered, that he would reconstitute a people. Isaiah told us that in Isaiah 55 through 66. Here we have this expression that here, in this wilderness temptation, Israel, just like his promises were sure. Do you remember? Why did you bring us out here that we're going to just die out here? Oh, if we could just go back. Even after all that took place in their lives, right? Sometimes we can be so critical of that in the Old Testament. I mean, God called, could you not simply obey? How could you not love the Lord thy God? How could you not trust and rely in his word? God who makes statements and fulfills them. Oh, well, yes. I mean, we went 400 years in silence. I understand that things can be trying and difficult. We were taken captive in exile. Asking, how exactly does Adam and Eve in the era of redemptive history in the garden, how does that, that God keeps his promises? And that our hope, in the hope of the bated breath for God's deliverance, and there is no other deliverance being provided than serpent's head. Promise made. Oh, man, it's been a long time coming. But here is Jesus. Let me show you just in brief two particular ways that Jesus here is our only hope, the second Adam. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is that in his facing the wilderness temptation, that in his facing temptation, he will resist by not questioning the word of the Lord, by not doubting age. And we are watching him emerge from baptism and end hunger by trusting in the integrity and faithfulness of God. Romans 5.19, I simply offer to you where that's further developed to make for your sake. 
For as by the one man's disobedience, you know who he's referencing, obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is as temptation as we will look forward to it and kind of delving into exactly what he shows us in the temptation experience. But it also shows us Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's destiny. That is, what do I mean by that? To emerge obediently, but also his identity in going into the wilderness is fully Israelite. That is, spring of Abraham. Jesus is not only the son of Abraham, but in the genealogy also he is the son of Judah. You remember, he's just not somebody. He is our Lord. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. In Him, He is the Son of Abraham. He is the Son of Judah. And you'll see in the genealogy, as Luke writes for us, King of Israel. Indeed, God makes tremendous promises. Jesus is the only way, beloved, back from sinful exile. He is the only pathways. There are not multiple sons of David that we can rely upon. There are not multiple children of Abraham that we can look over to, to the left or to the right, and think they can deliver us. They're... The whole story of your salvation comes to bear upon Luke 3 and Luke 4. For here in Luke 3, he willingly, as our Lord, Savior, prophet, priest, and king, faced our what are we doing here? We're out here to just die? Why not just leave us in there? Where each heard the word, thought Jesus, through his faithfulness, through his obedience, standing in our place, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Not only rest upon him, as he has freely offered to us in the gospel. For all, every one of the promises of God face temptations. Some of them big fears that sometimes are crippling, even besetting. And in each one of these, to doubt that he is who he says he is, to doubt that he'll do what he said he would do. But then the very word of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for